0: Please, to pray with me. Oh, Father in heaven, uh, even in our weakness we come. And we ask that you would enable us to, to hear this word of God and to believe. Father, you would come overcome any natural resistance or we have any sinful resistance that we have uh, to your word. And that you would, by your spirit, convince us of its truth. Strengthen us therefore in it and by it and through it for the calling that you have upon us for the life that we are to live. So help us now I pray in Jesus name. Amen. Turn please to 2nd Timothy uh, in chapter 1. I want to begin reading with verse 3 and then read through chapter 2 verse 1. That will break us at least in the translation that I have in the middle of a sentence but but I want to take us through chapter 2, verse 1. Hear the word of God. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers nights and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy, reminded of your sincere faith, of faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the manner, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he refreshed me and was not ashamed of my change, but when he arrived in Rome he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that that is in Christ Jesus. Now, that's That's the expression I want to draw our attention to this morning, this chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, and remember, Paul's writing to a young man, Timothy, his child as he puts it. He's not his his, um, natural father, he's more his spiritual father. And so he writes to him in this very personal, pastoral, fatherly kind of way you can see the relationship that Timothy and Paul have as he knows his his grandmother and his mother and his upbringing and all of that he 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 uh, he knows Timothy inside and out but uh, so he writes to him he says you my child and he says this be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus now this is kind of at least as we understand it a pivotal expression a pivotal verse that is that um, what he has said turns on this expression and what he's going to say turns on this expression. So, so, so it sums up, if you will, gathers a bit what Paul has been saying and it will inform what he's going to say. We'll take up what he's going to say, how it informs what, it's going, what he's going to say next Sunday. This Sunday we're going to catch up what he's been saying in this expression. Be strong, be strengthened, he said, by the grace of uh, that is in Christ Jesus, so so let me begin with some grammar uh, that 's exciting isn 't it? I can tell everyone, yes, some grammar, I need some grammar, uh, and you learn this in the fourth grade, but but if but it 's going to help you uh, to really see this and to, to quote to help me i 'm going to quote uh, a friend of mine, Jerry Bridges, from a book that 's actually going to come out uh, probably in the first of the year called "Transforming the Transforming Power of the Gospel. He deals with this expression. Uh, by the way, those of you who know Jerry, he's um, having on Wednesday, he's being checked to see if he needs to have a heart valve replacement. So we'll be praying uh, for our dear friend. Um, but he, he, he puts it like this: He said, The verb be strengthened is what is called a present passive. It's a command, but it's a present passive. It says present means a continuous ongoing action. That is, it's in the present tense, so it's always present. So you're always to be doing this. That's the sense of it there. Present means a continuous ongoing action. Passive means something is done to the subject. Normally, when we have a command, the subject is to do something. But, but you'll notice he, he commands Timothy to be strengthened by something. So it's, 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 it's present. It's, he's always to live in this place of being strengthened. But something that is strength is happening to him. He's being strengthened. So Jerry writes, passive means something is done to the subject. We might render Paul's words this way. Be continually strengthened by a source of strength From outside of you. And what is that source? It is the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's the power of God coming through to us, through Christ, and applied to us by the Holy Spirit. Now that would be great news really to Timothy you've been following with us as we've worked our way through 1st Timothy and now a little bit into 2nd Timothy these letters that Paul's writing to, to Timothy this pastor in Ephesus and this young pastor you realize that Timothy had a certain Things about him. It appears as if he was timid by nature. We might say an introvert, someone who wasn't energized necessarily by being with people or in front of people. I mean, yeah, I had his alone time, and he was timid. It appears as if there were some false teachers in the church in Ephesus, and 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 Timothy was commanded by Paul because of his calling to 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 approach them, to confront them. That would not be an easy thing for him to do, to debate them, if you will, and and so. We have this natural timidity and, 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 and plus Timothy was young and so they wouldn't necessarily respect him because of his, of his age. And so all that kind of against him. It appears as if he was a bit sickly. Paul, remember in his first letter, says to Timothy to take a little wine for your stomach so the anxiety must have been getting to him in some regard. We can read all that perhaps into this. So, so we get this word would be a good one for Timothy that Paul didn't simply just command him to be strong. But rather, he said, be strengthened by something. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, if you will. It will come to you, this grace that is in Christ Jesus, and it will strengthen you. I mean, Timothy had this calling to be this pastor in Ephesus, not an easy place to be. The false teachers, the shadow of paganism that existed there because of this great, pagan temple that was there and 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 just how that infiltrated the culture so he was to be in the midst of that and only that paul would speak to timothy about sharing in paul's suffering notice how he puts it in verse 8 he says therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our lord nor of me his prisoner but Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And so you get this sense. Here's Paul writing from prison. Suffering because of the gospel. And he says to now, Timothy, I want you to share in this suffering. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't think, oh, Paul's in prison. I can't really. No, no, no. Don't be ashamed of my chains. But actually share in this suffering. In fact, Paul would say, Later, in chapter 3, in in, in verse 12, he would say, Indeed, all who desire to live a a, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so he's saying this to Timothy. Listen, if you want to live a godly life in Ephesus, the likelihood is that you are yourself going to be persecuted. And we realize that this was not just simply a hypothetical for Timothy. Because the author of Hebrews, at the very end of that um, letter to the Hebrews verse 23 the author of Hebrews says this you should know that our brother Timothy has been released and so Timothy must have at some point in time himself been arrested and now the author of Hebrews is saying he's going to be released and he says with whom I shall uh, see you if he comes soon and so so Timothy knew that he would know that, and so all this is coming. So, so how is he going to endure all of that? But not only that, in Timothy's life, he was a man, and as a man who is a believer in Jesus, desiring to follow Christ, would deal with all of the same things that human beings deal with in the context of their sin. Paul commanded Timothy to flee uh, the sins, if you will, of his youth, to flee sin. And so we realize that Timothy, just like the rest of us, is dealing with sin. How is he going to be strengthened? How is he going to be strong enough to deal with sin and temptation? Well, Paul says, be strengthened. Receive this strength that is in the grace that is in Jesus, that is in Christ Jesus, that He gained for us, merited for us, the same grace that saved you, the, the, the same grace that brought you reconciliation with God, the same grace now strengthens you. So be strengthened by that. Paul would be saying, I'm not calling you to be strong in and of yourself, but you'll be strengthened. And so all that I'm calling you to as pastor, all I'm calling to you to in the midst of Ephesus, all I'm calling... Uh, you too, as a, as a follower of Jesus. And not only that, of course, not only there's sin and temptation in, in the lives of those of us who desire to follow after Christ, but there's simply the, the grief of life, the difficulty of life, the burden of life, the confusion that we have. Why does this happen and this happen? And why is this happening now in the midst of, of my life and the lives of others? The grief that we experience because of relationships that hurt. Because the people that we lose, we know all of this. How can we endure, if you will? Is there any real hope for us? So so that's the point of this. Now, you can ask the question, well, how then can I be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ? That's next week. What I want to do this week, is established the fact of it. right? Now, I actually think establishing the fact of it that is that there is strength that is ours that is by the grace that is in Christ Jesus is the bulk of it. In other words, once we get our minds and our hearts, our very lives around the fact of it, then the how-to is, 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 is easier, if you will. The how-to makes no sense uh, without the fact of it. And so, so here we are. Because you see, this expression of, of the, this be strengthened by the grace uh, that, is, that is in uh, Christ Jesus uh, is a very important one for us as well. Because all the things that Timothy was faced with, we are faced with as well. Um, persecution, physical Persecution is uh, isn't really the course of our lives. It's a very difficult thing for us to relate to. But there is a sense of, as Christians, we understand an emotional and a social kind of persecution, if you will, that that which is against us the marginalize us in the context of the culture. If you don't believe that, sit on an airplane and explain to someone, the person sitting next to you, what you believe as a Christian. Begin to explain about human nature and the fact that we believe that we're sinners in the sight of God and that we're without hope except in His sovereign mercy, meaning that that we understand that we've rebelled against God and we come under His just judgment because we believe that God is holy and just. And to share that we also believe that God is love, but what that means is that He's provided this salvation for us only through Jesus. Only, emphasize the only, that's the offensive part, you see. Only through faith in Jesus. That Jesus is the only one who's conquered sin and death and it's only by trusting in Him that we join in that and thus sin and death conquered for us through Him. That what we need is righteousness and Jesus provides that through His life. What we need is forgiveness and Jesus provides payment of penalty by way of paying for the death of our sin. And we believe that We believe that there's only two destinies, if you will, for human beings. That is to be judged by God and and, and receive eternal punishment or to be forgiven and be in His presence, gracious presence, for all of eternity. We believe that. That's even before we get into various social kinds of things that that people uh, have difficulties with us about, concerning human sexuality, concerning the sanctity of life, and so forth. When you think all of that, and and we share that. And while people in our culture are often very kind to us, and I appreciate that, they listen to us, they don't ridicule us to our face, yet, just living in the notion that we're on the outside of everybody else, all of our neighbors, there's a certain sense of difficulty in that. And how do we maintain the strength in order to hold to that which is true and to live that out and to share that which is true with others? How Do we live that out, and how can we find the strength to to do that and not only that, but we 're faced as Timothy was with the same kinds of temptations to sin as he how can we have the strength to overcome in the midst of the temptations that come into our lives those that are that, that seem to be threatening us all the time in, in our own culture concerning infidelity and, and pornography and and lying and materialism and all of that that seems to pervade. Our own culture, how do we deal with that? How do we deal deal then with the grief that comes in our lives from those we lose? How do we deal with the, the pain of relationships that hurt? How do we deal with the confusion of life that comes to us? All of that's just real for us. So the question is, how do we live through that? Can there really be strength to enable us to persevere in faith, to persevere in life? It's interesting, it seems, this is my conclusion, that everyone in some sense lives by faith. Something beyond ourselves, something we're trusting in. Uh, When difficult things happen to people, uh, what I hear most often are expressions like this, well, whatever doesn't kill you makes us strong. And I always say, how do you know that? Or this is happening for a purpose, what purpose? And how do you know that? Or when someone passes away, the expression, expressions are said like this, well, at least he or she is no longer suffering. How do you know that? Or, well, at least he or she is in a better place. How do you know that? Um, Stephen Post, who's a bioethicist that was before a recent change in positions was um, um, in the Department of Bioethics at Case Western Reserve School of Medicine and was part of the Beckett Institute at um, St. Hugh's in Oxford. A um, research fellow there has spent his life interviewing people, as he puts it, who have received serious diagnosis. What he means by that is life-threatening diagnosis cancer, and so forth and so on. So, so these deep diagnoses. So he spent his time at the hospital facility, the, the teaching hospital facility there, the medical school there, interviewing these folks and the people who care for them. And what he finds is this. He says that in the vast majority of cases, what he finds is that when people receive a serious diagnosis, when something is beyond them, if you will, that they end up in some way, shape, or form turning to religion, to spirituality, or to God, some sense of God. And his conclusion is this. He says this. He says, We create routines and patterns in our lives that give us a sense of being in control, a sense of safety. But when we get a serious diagnosis, face a serious tragedy, things go wrong, and we realize the illusionary quality of these routine, routines and look for God. He says, you know, we sort of go through our lives with various routines and, and we feel through, through the patterns of our life that we're in some sense in control, that there is some sense of safety. But, but then some things happen in our lives that pull that sense of control, pull that sense of safety out from us. And then we look for something beyond ourselves, if you will, to, to find purpose, to find meaning, to find strength, to find help so that we can continue on, so that life just isn't worthless at that point. So please understand... That I don't think that every search or every claim for religion or for spirituality or for God is a good thing for us. It may well just be another illusion. I, I think the danger for human beings is that we end up having faith in a God of our own making. We trust in faith, if you will, in that which we've drawn to say, Well, this will help me. There is purpose. And we sort of, we sort of um, grit our teeth and say, Yes, this must be true. If it isn't, then we're really sunk. So we believe it, this sort of God of our own making. But the point is that we must be strengthened, else life has no meaning. We must be strengthened or we won't survive it. And so Paul comes to Timothy in the midst of his calling, in the midst of his life. And thus he comes to us in the midst of how he's called us, in the midst of our lives, and says, trust me. No, trust God. There is strength. So be strengthened by it. It's real strength. It isn't illusionary. And so he goes on to say, here's why I know it's not illusionary. Because you see, Timothy, it comes out of the same grace that saved us. Notice how he puts it, verse 8. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to, and that to could be a to or a with. So keep that in mind. Some versions have with, some have to. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Wow. He says, listen, Timothy. That same grace that saved you, that same power of God that saved you, is the same power of God that strengthens you. It came, he said, by God's own purpose and grace. He saved us and he called us. We want to go with this preposition with a holy calling, meaning that this calling was effective, that he called us. As Jesus would put it, he gave us ears to hear, or as Jesus would put it, he gave us new life in the midst of this calling. He called us effectually. It was effective. We heard this call and we said yes to it. Within the call came the ability to believe if you will and so he says this this holy calling was sacred, was from God and he called us then to live lives of holiness so he says he saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works but because of his own purpose and and grace he said it wasn't because of our our works, we read of course in the sort of well known passage in Ephesians in chapter 2 Verse 8, Paul writes, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's gracious. It's a gift. It doesn't depend upon us, if you will. We don't do anything to merit it. We haven't given Him anything to coerce Him, to give something to us. And again, these categories blow our minds, really. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In other words, I can't boast in this salvation. You can't boast in this salvation. You can't say, look at me, look at what Look what I've done. No, no, no. It isn't that at all. Now notice, if you want to have a blown gasket in your mind, it says, He says, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began said, listen, this is so much not of your doing, Timothy. It's so much not of your own works that this was God's purpose and plan to save you before the ages began. Ephesians chapter 1, obviously the same message, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. God says, I have a purpose and plan and I've already set this out and it happened before even I made anything. Now I know That these passages create many, many questions in our minds. I appreciate that. But let's not miss the point of them. The point of them is rest assured that this is secure. Because it was in God's purpose and plan. We didn't bring it about. He did. And it wasn't based on our works, anything that we have done or will do. And it's not based on any works that God saw us do in the future or any of that. He, before the ages began, set this plan into place. And now it's coming to fruition and we see it because Jesus has appeared. That was part of it, you see. You get this sense of before the ages began, there was a sort of a, a holy convocation with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Where the Father says, I, I desire to show my love to people and to save them from their sins. And, and and Jesus said, all right, I'll do that. I'll volunteer my efforts and I'll go and I'll pay the price. I'll do what needs to be done so that they will be saved. And so then the Holy Spirit said, yes, and then I'll take and glorify Jesus. That is, I'll come and I'll reveal it to them. You get the sense of that even as Jesus is praying on the nights that he would be arrested in john 17 chapter 17 jesus is praying this this is what we call his high priestly prayer john writes when jesus had spoken these words he lifted his eyes to heaven and said father the hour has come glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him and this is eternal life that they know you the only true god in jesus christ whom you have sent. And you get to sense at that point. Jesus says I'm here to do the work to which I had agreed prior to. And you have given me these. And I've come now. In order to express your love to them to save them. And again this is one of those for me at least goosebump passages. I don't have anything too much to say about it really. To say too much is to say too much. <laughs> and so just simply live in it. And be humbled by it. To be grateful for it, but also to live in the security of it. And God is saying to Timothy, saying to us through Paul, that realize that God will bring to pass that which He's set out to do. And what He set out to do was to save you. And He saved you by grace, clearly by grace. All of this was laid out. Before the ages began. So it's clearly by his grace. Know that. Other things you may not be able to understand. Other things may be beyond us as human beings. And just in the courts of God to understand. But, but this. Know this. So you can be secure. And to know that he will bring to completion. That which he began. I mean that was Paul's sense here. In verse 12 he says. Which is why I suffer as I do back to 2 Timothy now. Um, For I know whom I've believed. I'm convinced that he's able to guard it until that day what has been entrusted to me, this very gospel. He says, I know that God will bring it to fruition. I know he'll bring it to completion. He began it. It's his work. It's his plan. It's his grace. He'll make it happen. So trust him, Timothy. So be strengthened because there is strength. Don't worry, Timothy. I know that you're up against the great difficulties, but, 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 but God will strengthen. He will strengthen you. You see, because in this salvation that we have, God has actually, and we know this, reconciled us to himself. See, the assumption of reconciliation is that there was a separation. And there was. There was an estrangement between us and God because of His holiness and our sin. His justice and our sin. Thus we were estranged from Him. His his dealings with us would be as judge because that's what we deserved. And so how was that to be overcome? It was overcome in Jesus. So He comes and gives us righteousness and forgiveness so that we can be reconciled to God. Now, reconciled to God means that through Jesus... We're joined together with God. We don't become God, but we're united to Him. There's all kinds of metaphors used in the scripture, especially the New Testament, that speak to this. It speaks of vines and branches. He's the vine. We're the branches. In other words, we're attached to Him and we receive all that we need from Him. Separate the branch from the vine, it dies. Unite branch to vine, maintain its union, it lives. Why? Because it's from the vine that the nurture, the nourishment, the strength to live comes. And he says, that's true for you. It really is. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that brings you strength. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The metaphor of the head and the body. That Jesus is our head. And from him he leads and directs. And we are his body. We follow from him, if you will. This expression of family. That God is our father. Reconciled to him we become his children. Thus he is our father. We his child. And remember Jesus said to a group of fathers. You who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will our Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who seek Him? And so He sees our Heavenly Father, thus we trust that He will give to us all that we need because we're attached to Him. The bride metaphor that we are as the church, the bride of Christ. You get this sense that there's this relationship between marriage, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, and our relationship with God through Jesus That a man should leave his father and mother and be united with his wife. The two should become one flesh. Paul says this is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. I mean it's a profound mystery that a man and a woman can be joined together united and become one flesh. He says no, 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 I know that. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that you can be joined together with God as as his bride. And just as a wife takes the name of her husband and thus follows him, if you will, in that we take the very name of Christ upon ourselves and our purpose is his purpose then, one with him. And so you see, we're, we, we're united to him. There's a great old book. It's a great title. It's by a guy named Henry Scrogel. Wouldn't necessarily recommend him in all his things but anyway he wrote this great book with this great title it's called the life of god and the soul of man see the life of god and the soul of man that we're united to him and his he, he gives us life that we can really live and it comes by grace the grace that he planned even before the ages began which blows our sockets but we know then that it's secure because it's from Him and through Him and gracious to us. And there's a sense in which, if you think about it, since it's grace, we really can't mess it up. That's the good part of this. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, this beginning with verse 6. He says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps we're a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we're reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we're reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. Listen, he said, he loved us while we were his enemies. Certainly he's going to love us now. We're rebelling up against him, but now he's saved us. Certainly, how much more will he save us? We say, yes, he will. He'll give to us strength because you see, we're now united with him and his life will flow to us. We read through the scripture as we've mentioned so many times because it's crucial to us to get it and to know it that living in the presence of God is that which brings us brings us strength for instance we find uh, in uh, the Pentateuch in the book of Deuteronomy as Moses is, is is leaving if you will and he's, he's commissioning Joshua eventually to take over for him. And he understands that, that he is no longer going to be with the people. Deuteronomy chapter 31, he gives him his final sort of um, word to them. Verse 1, so Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I'm 120 years old today. Wow. I have 61 more years of this. Believe, anyway, no, probably not. Um, 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to go out and come in. He's being realistic there. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord, um, your God himself, will go over before you. And so he's giving them this word. He's not going to go with them. And you can only imagine these people who have really lived in Moses and under his leadership for as long as they can remember. This Moses who... Led them out of Egypt, this Moses who put his staff over the Red Sea so they could walk through, this Moses who led them through the wilderness and all of that, this, this Moses. And now Moses says, I'm not going to be with you. And you can just get a sense that some people might think, oh, that's horrible. And Moses is about to say, it's really no big deal. And here's why. Verse 6 he says, Be strong and courageous, do not fear or be in dread. Of them, that is those people who occupy the land. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. In other words, be strengthened by the very fact that you know that God is with you and he will in fact, he will in fact be with you. And indeed, uh, he will, he will help you. King Hezekiah was uh, confronted by this great commander named Sennacherib. And Sennacherib was arrogant but strong. In other words, he was able, had been all his military life, to be able to back up all of his claims. And now he came against ancient Israel, Judah, and he he came against King Hezekiah. And Hezekiah put up a little bit of a, a stink and said, No, 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 we're not going to follow after you. And Sennacherib, through his speakers, came to say, are you sure you know what you're doing? I mean, be careful, people following Hezekiah, because he says, other people have invoked their gods, other nations have invoked their gods against me, and I still destroyed them. Why do you think that invoking your God against me is going to really slow me down at all? It never has before now. And so Hezekiah goes before the people. And he says this, Second Chronicles chapter 32. He says, Be strong and courageous. Don't be, excuse me, <clears throat> Don't be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. Verse 8. For with him is an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And so you see, that's the contrast. This arm of flesh, we trust our own constructs, we trust our own routines, we we trust our own sense of security and all of that, or we trust God. And the great thing, the point that Paul is making to Timothy and to us is that this isn't illusionary. This isn't a God of our own making. This is a God who before the ages, planned. This is the God who created. This is a God who now through appearing of Jesus brought this grace to us. He says, trust. Really trust him. Last week we looked at that great expression of the apostle when he says, um, power is perfected in weakness. He said, be strengthened even in the midst of your weakness. Be strengthened because God is in fact with you. Colossians chapter 1, Paul, as he writes, to uh, this church. Verse 29 says, For this I toil, that is his ministry, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You see, Paul felt the struggle, but he knew that in the midst of it, he would be upheld. He would be strengthened by God. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works in me. And then finally this in Second Timothy in chapter 4 is... Paul writes to Timothy, he gives his own testimony of the meaning of being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, Paul says, that my first defense, that is, as he was defending himself before the authorities, that my first defense No one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. So you get the picture. It was Paul all alone. Don't you know that would be discouraging and depressing? Don't you know you'd wonder, how am I going to make it? Here I am all by myself in the midst of this government that's against me. They have all the power. I have none of it. None of my friends are sticking up for me. I'm just simply here all by myself. My first offense, No one came to stand there, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Gracious of Paul. Verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom to be glory forever and ever. Now the question is, How did Paul know that the Lord stood by him? How did he know that? He knew that the Lord stood by him, and he knew, therefore, because the Lord stood by him, he was strengthened, so he received the strength that was by grace that comes through Jesus. So he knew all of that. Does this mean that Paul saw Jesus standing by him? have no indication of that. He didn't say that. Do we know that Paul knew that the Lord stood by him because he heard him speak to him? We don't know that. He doesn't say that. Do we know that the Lord stood by him, that Paul knew that the Lord stood by him because he felt the Lord standing by him? He doesn't say that. He doesn't need to because he knew it. How did he know it? He knew before the ages began, mysterious as that sounds, he knew that God had chosen him to follow him, to believe in him, to be his. And thus Paul knew that given that grace, that was confirmed by the appearing of Jesus, that was confirmed by the work of the Holy Spirit in him to enable him to believe, because of all that, that he would know that at every point in time, The Lord would be with him, strengthening him, and that he could be strengthened, therefore, by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It was simply true. And not an illusion. Simply true. Not a construct of his own mind. Simply true. And so he would say then, at the end of the day, after having received strength, where did that strength come from? come from me? No, 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 no. It came from the Lord. He stood by me. He enabled me. How do I know that? Well, because I've been reconciled to him. I live in his presence. And you see, he tells us all of that is preliminary, that is to say, that given what we're now facing and what we're going to face, he said, no, be aware of the fact. The Lord is with you. Don't be afraid. I don't know about you. But I can make a list. Right now. And on some days it would be a very long list. Of things. Which scare me. And I wonder. How will I have the strength. In order to. And I go down the list. In the word of God should come to me at each point and simply say, Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That is, trust me, I'll be with you, I will give you strength. Will I see Jesus? I haven't yet.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Will I hear his voice? I haven't yet. Will I feel him? I haven't yet. He simply says, know it point <clears throat> by point by point. Because I'm the kind of person that I am, I look through my day timer, and I see things coming up that are way beyond me and scare me. And so I often simply put First Timothy two one, because I figure God's already there on that date ahead of me. And when the time comes, when I need it, as I need it, He will give me strength. What will I feel? Probably weak but he'll give me strength. Last passage, Isaiah chapter 40. I prayed this as we began. Those of you who know this text probably says, oh, he stole that from Isaiah. I steal all my prayers from the Bible, by the way. So there you go. Situation where prior to Isaiah chapter 40, the passages have been judgment after judgment after judgment after judgment. And now Isaiah is going to speak to the people on the basis of grace, on the basis of restoration. It would be hard to imagine given their circumstance. Given the, especially those who have been, will be reading this in exile, that is after they've been exiled. They'll read these passages and you wonder how can that be? And so he begins verse 28. He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him has no might. He increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This little expression to wait. It doesn't mean, as we'll see next week, do nothing. But it means trust. It means rely upon. It means trust that he will strengthen you to wait upon him. Hebrew, there's a sense of waiting, meaning gathering. That as you're waiting, and as you're waiting upon the Lord, this gathering of strength, if you will, and then He'll renew your strength. The little word for renew means to exchange. To exchange your strength for His. Do you know that's a great deal? Because when we give Him our strength, all we're giving Him is our weakness an inability and when he gives us his strength he enables us how do we wait that's next week <clears throat> but this week rest in the fact that he does indeed strengthen you all right let's pray father in heaven i pray that for me for us that I would, I would know that. And I'd know it, not because I'm worthy of it, but because it's grace. And that makes it huh, believable. Because I look in my own life and I realize I really am not worthy to be strengthened. And thus, it, if it is by grace, then perhaps it is true. And, and then to think, But it is by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I see that. I know that. I know there is grace in Christ Jesus. Because I see it in history. I see it in my own life. I see it laid out in the pages of Scripture. So I trust that you'll grant strength to me, to us, even as we live. We don't have to make things up. We don't have to pretend. We need not have illusions. But we can know. I pray, God, for those who are going through the difficult things of life that make us afraid. I pray that they would be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I pray, God, for those who are facing unemployment, that are facing problems in relationships, faith Problems of health. Facing deep discouragement and worry, hurts, grief. Those who see their calling as husbands, as wives, as moms, as dads, as being overwhelming, To strengthen them, that they'll know that there is strength that comes by way of grace that is in Christ Jesus. For us as a church, fathers, we face the overwhelming task of being salt and light in this community and throughout the world to share our faith with people who do not believe, who, to engage in good discussion of that which is true, to have courage to stand for Christ. And Father, that you would strengthen us in that even by the grace that comes through Christ Jesus. For those, Father, we support in ministry in various kinds of ways, whether it be the Pregnancy Care Center or those who do ministry on campus or those who do ministry throughout the world, we pray that you would strengthen each, give courage to each, and this by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And this, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. Please receive this as God's benediction. And now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you. With every good thing for doing His will, working in us, that which is well-pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And together let us sing.
1: And all of you is more than enough for all of me, for every thirst and every need. You satisfy me with your love. All I have in you Is more than enough You are my supply My breath of life Still more awesome than I know You are my reward Worth living for, still more awesome than I know, and all of you is more than enough for, all of me, for every thirst and every need, you satisfy me, with your love, and all I have in you, is more than enough. sacrifice of greatest price, Still more awesome than I know. You're my coming King. You are everything. Still more awesome than I know. And love of you You satisfy me with your love, and all I have in you is more than enough, more than all I want, more than all I need. You are more than enough for me, more than all I want, more than all I can see. You are more than enough And all of you Is more than enough for All of me For every thirst and Every need You satisfy me With your love And all I have in you And all of you Is more than enough for all of me for every thirst and every need you satisfy me with your love and all I have in you is more than enough and all I have in you is more than enough and all I have in you is more than enough. You are dismissed.